please be seated. Um, before I read the scripture today, I, I wanted to just say something, and that is thank you. Um, it's hard to put into words how wonderful it is to serve this church. Um, I feel like y'all hear me saying that all the time, and so forgive me if you've heard this too much. Um, but I've been in ministry for 12 years, and I've never been the pastor of a church that not only expects me to care for them, but then cares for me right back. Um, and you guys are wonderful about that. This, you know, suggesting that I take a sabbatical so that I could be renewed um, and better able to lead you. No church has ever suggested that to me before. And that's not just me that you've done that for. You did that for our first pastor too. Um, you suggested that. The other day on a Friday, I got a, an email message from one of our leaders and Friday is my Sunday because I'm working on Sunday. So I spend Friday um, just renewing, right? And um, I'm pretty bad about checking email on Friday um, and responding. And I didn't this time. I checked it, and then I responded on Saturday. And this leader wrote me back, Pastor Laura, thank you for that response, and thank you for not replying on your Sabbath. I have never gotten an email like that before, ever. And so I would just want to say thank you. Um, thank you for the many ways for your prayers and your words of encouragement and the ways you are lifting up my arms so that I can be your leader. I'm so grateful. Let's pray. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm thanking you. <laughs> See, even when I say thank you, you're giving me applause. So anyway, we love each other. Let's, let's pray. God, I do love these people, and it is a joy to be your people. You are the God of love, and you help us to care for each other. So thank you, God, um, for loving us so that we can return that love to you. And I pray, God, that you would speak to us today. Um, let us hear the warning that is in this scripture. Help us to live as your people with you as our king. Even when the world tries to pull us away, God, may we be found at your side. Um, help us to understand what you're saying to us today and to be different as a result. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the scripture for today, it's from the book of 1 Samuel. This is a wonderful scripture. 1 Samuel is a wonderful book. And as we go through the Bible, as I'm leading you through the Bible, um, we've come to like the history part. I was a history major. I love this part. So I've tried to pick out, um, actually I have picked out, if you're going to look at Samuel, the most important part in the whole book of Samuel is what happens in 1 Samuel 8. And this is what it says. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. And so that's what Samuel does. He tells them all the things the king will demand. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we shall be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles for us. 
When Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So today is a very important turning point as we discuss this scripture. This is a pivot in the history of salvation. What we've seen so far is that the world got broken. Humanity were, were the ones, we were the ones who broke it. And God began to redeem the world. And he did so through us, people like you and me. Um, Noah and his family. And then Abraham and his family. And, and then finally the nation of Israel. And so we've seen how the first generation was rescued from slavery. And Moses led them. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Finally come to the banks of the Jordan River. Joshua arises leads the second generation to believe that God can do in their generation what God did in the past. And they take the land, and finally they have a place. And then we came to the time of the judges, and we talked about how a cycle that began in Israel's history with them denying God and falling away and then needing this wake-up call where they say, oh, we're so sorry, and we repent and save us, and God saves them, and they have a time of peace. And in their abundance, they fall away. That becomes full-blown in Judges. So now in the book of Samuel, we're at this transition point between the judges and the kings. And Samuel is the last judge. The last judge in all of Israel. He's the last one. And he's a great finale. Um, this is a young boy. I love his story. If you have kids or grandkids, go look up how Samuel was called as a little kid. And followed God faithfully all of his life. It's a beautiful story. Samuel stands like a rock in a raging river because most of the time Israel is going the wrong way and Samuel is standing firm, grounded in God, saying, No, this is the way. Here's the problem his kids, for whatever reason, have chosen differently. So his two sons, when the people think, Oh, they can't be our judges, um, they're right. The sons are horrible. And so the people come to Samuel, and right now it's a loose confederation of, um, I guess, tribes. We would think of them like states because we're in the United States, and so there's individual states in one nation. Um, I put you a map in your study guide of the tribes. And each of those 12 tribes has a place in Israel, and they each have a leader. Now, they're all under God, and they all worship in the same place and in the same way, and they're part of one nation but they have individual leaders of their tribes, and you can see that. So the individual leaders, all 12 of them, I suppose, or maybe a few more, come to Samuel and they say, we have a problem. They're right. Um, they identify, they have identified this cycle, um, that this is not working, this falling away from God and a judge rising up and delivering them, and then they get comfortable and they fall away again. They're like, it's not working. And so they propose an intervention right here. No more judges, they say. Give us a king. Now, on its surface, as we read that, we're like, well, I mean, what is the real difference between having a judge and having a king? I mean, maybe the people are being practical. Maybe they just want a line of succession. Maybe they want God to, you know, instead of just having a judge and they have to wait to call out, we always have a leader we can see. I mean, what's the big deal? Well, it is a huge deal. In fact, we're going to talk about why this is a sin. Why this is one of the gravest sins the nation of Israel ever commits in their history is to ask God to give them a human 
king. And if you want to understand why it's so bad, then we have to look at the reasons that they give. Okay, so look at the reasons that they give. When, when Samuel says, look, this is going to be really bad, this king is going to take you as slaves. Remember, they were delivered from slavery. God doesn't ever want them to be slaves again. He's going to make you slaves. He's going to take a tithe, a 10% of all of your stuff. Where's that supposed to go? To God? You know, all these things are bad, and they're like, no, 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 no. We want the king. Um, they shout it, No. We want a king. Give us a king. Then we will be, number one reason, like all the other nations. Uh-oh. And we will have a king to judge us and go before us and fight our battles for us. There are reasons. So we can be like everybody else. And so someone, a human king, will lead us, judge us, fight for us. Now, who does God say is supposed to fill that role? He is. And we're going to come back to that. I want to talk about the so we will be like everybody else, okay? You remember, I think, the 70s. Is that our favorite decade for, for clothing disasters? Do we want to go with the 80s? I mean, what do we want to go with? Whatever. Picture it in your mind. I asked on Facebook, you know, does anybody have, you know, terrifying pictures of themselves from a different decade? And I got, like, all of these likes. Like, like, oh, that's hysterical. You want to know how many of you sent me a picture of yourself? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Zero. So I decided to... Um, use my influence on the people who are willing to be influenced. Obviously not. You find people. And I, I twisted the arms of my staff to give me pictures of themselves from this decade. And we also have one um, volunteer, Kim, who gave me a picture. So let's see what the staff was doing. <laughs> okay, so we have um, the decade of Aquanet, right? When you had to use a whole can to get your bangs to be like Kim's, right? Or you wanted to use a whole tube of red lipstick with, to accent your braces like Martha. Um, I don't know what Greg had going on here, but it was a permed mullet. And that was, he assures us that was very hip in Oklahoma, okay? And I think Jana found that highly attractive. Yeah, 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 it was in Oregon, too. it was everywhere. Um, Brandy said, you can't really tell, she always wore her hair. She said, my default was a side ponytail. So she is going to prom and her hair is in a side ponytail, okay? And yours truly, my father keeps this picture on his desk at work. What is wrong with my father, okay? Like, do you not have any other pictures of me that I think he hates me because I had perms bangs. And that's, he has no other, that's what he chose, okay? To like immortalize it is not a good idea to try to be like everybody else, right? It leads us to some dark, dangerous, <laughs> terrible spaces, my friends. And so when Israel says, hey, you know, give us a king because everybody else has one, and we want to be just like them, they're going into a dark, dangerous, embarrassing space. And they're forgetting who they were called to be. Because, see, the point of Israel was not to be a nation 
just like everybody else. The point of Israel was to be a nation beautifully, wonderfully different. If they are going to be the way that God pours redemption into a broken world, then they can't be trying to emulate the brokenness. They have to want to be different. They have to be willing to welcome strangers, people with a bad reputation, like Rahab the prostitute. If she calls on the name of the Lord, then the Lord says she's welcome. There has to be one nation on earth where if you're starving to death in Moab, you can come back or come to Israel and the rich and the wealthy there are going to let you glean in their fields. There's got to be one nation on earth where if you commit a sin, there are cities of refuge around the country where you can go and hang on the altar and say, I'm sorry, and no one can harm you if you're there. That's Israel. Beautifully, wonderfully different. And now they're saying to Samuel, we're sick of it. We're tired of being different. We want to be like everybody else. It looks a whole lot easier. That's the first reason that this is such a horrible turning point and choice in their history. Because they were crushed by the desire to conform. Now the second reason. second reason that they give is so that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles for us. Now I have said that this cycle that we see in Judges, it doesn't begin in Judges. Um, there's a cycle going on here. And it's been going since the time of the golden calf, where Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and the people have just said, yay, God, we'll do everything that you said. We are your people forever. And then Moses has gone 40 days talking to God. And as y'all know, I think I've told you this, 40 is a symbolic number, 40 days of rain on the ark, 40 days wandering in the wilderness. 40 days waiting for Moses. It's this empty, hollow time. It's a time of testing and trial, a time when we see what we're made of. And what comes out of their 40 days waiting? A golden calf. Because it's so hard to be God's people. Because if we could just have something that we could see and control, then I think it would make us all a lot more secure because it will never move unless we move it, this calf. And so by saying, we want a human king, aren't the people saying, we want someone we can control? We want something we understand because it's so hard to have God as your king. It requires so much of you. You have to pray before you go into battle to see if it's the will of God to fight or to go. God ask you to sacrifice in ways that nobody else has to. You have to leave pieces of your field and bring the best of your harvest and offer mercy and forgiveness to people. Sometimes God asks you to welcome people that you wish would just go away. 
Sometimes you go into battle and God sends 90% of the army home. Or your battle strategy is terrifying because it's blowing on horns. It doesn't make sense. And it's so hard to be a nation where God is the king. It's so wonderful to be a nation where God is the king. And they're willing to give it up. Give us a human king. Give us someone who instead of you, God, will judge us and will lead us and will fight our battles for us. Give us one of us and we'll be happy. So Samuel hangs his head and he gives them what they're asking for. And the first king of Israel, his name is Saul, and he is, as the Bible says, choice. What? I mean, I thought we described meat as choice. (laughs) But the Bible says Saul is choice and handsome, and the women swoon. You know, he is awesome. And he is head and shoulders taller than any other man in Israel. So all the guys are looking up, and he's, like, strong. So when Saul, when they get their king, and it's Saul, they're like, we've arrived, right? Not only do we have a king, we have the best-looking king in all the nations. Israel has chosen Adam Levine (laughs) as their new ruler, right? Now, some of y'all are going, hmm, I wonder if Adam Levine might make a better ruler than some of our elected officials. Let's put that aside, okay? Not to impugn Adam Levine in any way, but Saul is rubbish as a king. Terrible. He's got it all right on the outside, but the inside is what's lacking. He doesn't have a heart for God. I mean, he's a little hesitant about being king, but once he gets into it, he has a heart for being king. He has a heart for taking the spoils of war, even if God says, don't take a piece of it. He has a heart for going into battle, even if he hasn't checked with God. And he has a heart for preserving his own skin. Just think about Goliath, right? Goliath, the Philistine giant who arises to taunt the people of God, who says, you are nothing and your God is less than nothing. And he does this for 40 days while the army shakes. And the whole time, the tallest, the strongest, the most well-armed Philistine is beating his sword against his shield saying, send me out your champion And I'm going to face him one-to-one, and whoever wins, the other people will be slaves. Israel wanted a king for why? To go out before them and fight their battles for them? Who is the tallest, strongest, most well-armed man in all of Israel? And what is he doing when Goliath is taunting his people, and blaspheming God, he's hiding in his tent. 
he won't go out. He's waiting for someone else to step up and do what the people were hoping a human being would do for them, but what only God can do. And so along comes this little kid who wasn't there to fight. He was there to bring supplies. And he hears this Philistine giant taunting the people and saying that God is nothing. And this little kid named David, who was a shepherd, says, will no one go to fight this giant? Then I will. And he takes a little slingshot. That's not good. And he goes and he slays the giant. Why? Because in his heart, he believed nothing could stop God. Because in his heart, he was willing to lay his own life on the line for the sake of his people. Because in his heart, he had but one king. And it wasn't the guy cowering in the tent. And so God anoints David to be the next king, and the blessing is removed from Saul. So what does this have to say for us? Well, I want us to look at this cycle because this is not ancient history. This is something that happens to each of us. This is something that happens to the church, the big church, is that we have a time of prosperity and our hearts drift away. And sometimes it takes a crisis where we say, we need the Lord. And God always answers, will always answer you, never gets tired of it. But what the people did is they looked at this cycle and they said, you know what? This has to stop. We're stopping it here. If we just had a king, when they really should have looked up here. This was always in their control. They could always affect change right here. And so can we. Because it's not just Israel that feels that crushing pressure to be like everybody else. I mean, our teenagers feel it, right? And we might look at them and say, oh, if I, was, if I knew what I knew now, I wouldn't have those same struggles. But y'all, I think, and you, can, you probably agree with me, that the pressure to conform as we get older does not get less, it gets more. that we have to now own the right home or what will people think of us and drive around in the right car and our body has to look like all the airbrushed people in People Magazine. And there's all this list of things that we have to do. We have to have a perfect family and the perfect job and all of these things that are exterior. We have to dress the right way. I fail constantly. All of these things, society looks at the outside and says, do this. That's what it takes to succeed. And we as the people of God have to remember, that's fine. It's, we need a car. We need clothes. But that's not what it means to succeed. Is living up to society's expectations. Is fitting in. We are called to be different. You are called to be different. Beautifully, 
wonderfully different. We are called to be the people who sacrifice for the sake of another. The people who forgive when they'd rather not. We are called to be the people whose purpose in life is not just yourself and your family, but is a broken world that our God can redeem if we just stand up and say, you have me. You have Bee Creek. You have all of us. And then when people see us, just like they were supposed to see Israel, when they see us, they shouldn't say, well, those Christians are just like everybody else. They should say, there's something different in that group of people. I wonder if they'd let me in. And we'll say, yes, of course. So when you feel that pressure crushing you, be different. Stand tall and let your lives, my lives, our lives sing that song of redemption that only God can sing through us and that the world is longing to hear. Let's pray. God, we do... Um, we do admit that oftentimes we don't allow you to be our king, that we would rather do it ourselves, and it has led us into some dark places. And we pray, God, that you would forgive us, that you would call us back to your side, and that you would be our forever king. May our hearts forever be yours, and may you help us to live and be beautifully and wonderfully different. Amen.